Welcome to the Finding a Job podcast, a Ben J. Schaap LLC production. In this podcast, we share the stories of world-class business leaders as they discuss their professional journeys, job search strategies, and tactics that have led them to career success. If you're looking to find a fulfilling, well-paying career path, this podcast will unearth the tools and tips you need to expedite your learning curve and avoid common roadblocks that face people entering the working world. Now here's the host of the Finding a Job podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the Finding a Job podcast. Today we're going to talk to the president of a well-known and respected headhunting firm. George McGarren is the president of the McGarren Group, which is a recruiting firm focused on working with startups and major organizations throughout the United States, Europe, and Latin America, and they focus on the successful placement of C-level executives and managerial talent in a multitude of industries. And today, George and I are going to talk about what a headhunter does, how you can build relationships with them, and how your potential hiring manager views you and your application. Okay. Here's my conversation with George McGarren, president of the McGarren Group. George, welcome to the Finding a Job podcast. Ben, thank you. I appreciate you inviting me here today. Thank you for that. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. We've actually known each other for years. We originally connected in 2011, so I guess it's been eight years, because as a headhunter, as a recruiter, you're responsible for reaching out and finding you know, potential candidates to fill jobs. And you reached out to me, and we've stayed in touch ever since then. For the people that are listening to this that are you know not familiar with the term, talk to me about what a headhunter is and does, and tell us a little bit about your firm specifically. Right. So no, I appreciate the question. And just to, sort of the backstory with that is, as you know, is that I think in terms of you, know, you and I back in 2011, we're dealing with each other sort of from a candidate to a sort of a recruiter relationship. And I think it's a good lesson for some of the younger folks not to burn bridges, right? So eight years later, you know, we're still in contact. So I think it's a great, great lesson for a lot of the people out there listening to keep relationships warm when possible. So a headhunter, you know, some folks call them sort of recruiters or talent acquisition specialist. The headhunter's role is to kind of broker the relationship between the company and the organization and the candidate, right? So the, in theory, the idea is that, you know, a company is having a difficult time finding qualified candidates that might fit either the cultural fit some of the sort of the job description, or just overall, there might be three or four hot buttons that they're having a hard time filling. So they go through a headhunter, a recruiter to sort of broker that in terms of, you know, there's a lot of other industries where you might use somebody to find sort of two parties and put them together. So that's kind of what we do. And it's a very customer service related business. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, the client is the organization, but at the same time, my client is also the candidate, right? So you have to be very focused on serving both. So that's kind of what we do. So you serve as an intermediary. And the way that I think about headhunters, it's very similar to a matchmaker. And there's the person that's, you know, paying the headhunters bills, which are the company. And they say, hey, we have a role for this type of person. We're looking for these types of candidates. And instead of them looking for those candidates in-house, they hire a headhunter to go source them educate the potential candidates for the job on what the job is, and then they help bridge the gap and get them into the interview process. Talk to me about why companies use headhunting firms as opposed to try to manage this process in-house. So that's a great question. And you would say sort of 
instinctively, it wouldn't make sense to pay a firm like mine money to find talent when they have their own HR team. The benefits to using an agency or a recruiting firm or, or headhunter are sort of the following, right? So you've got a lot of these HR teams, they have so many roles to fill that they get to a point where they just, quite frankly, don't have the capacity, right, or, or sort of the bench, I guess, to look for more talent. A lot of the times, a lot of these roles have been open for three months, six months, nine months. And sometimes it's just sort of, sort of basic, you know, they just haven't had the time or the resources to dedicate to that role. But a lot of the times it's because they're just having a big difficulty in finding a qualified person, right? So what they do is they'll come to someone like me or a company like mine. And so we charge a percentage of whatever the candidate makes on a base salary the year. There's a couple of benefits to using a recruiter or a headhunter. So if a normal company sort of goes through, you know, sort of the job process and they find somebody and things don't work out, they're sort of left with sort of an empty void, right, in terms of space. If they go through a recruiting company, there is a guarantee. So we financially guarantee that the candidate will stick, number one. So there's sort of a little more due diligence on our side in terms of just the quality. And number two, in general, if I show sort of, let's say I show, you know, five candidates to a hiring manager, there's a pretty good chance that they'll probably interview all five of them. So they save a lot of time in just sort of weeding out people that really don't belong in the process. And that, at the end of the day, saves a lot of money for everyone. I think the last thing, which is important to the candidate, which is it's our job to identify culturally who really, really fits. And I think there's a lot of benefits as well for the candidate in terms of, you know, they're able to get a lot of sort of very strong counsel going into the interview. So they're not going in blindly. They're also coached as well on sort of what to say, what not to say. And I think the third thing is, you know, in terms of just salary negotiation, they're usually able to get sort of more money and a better deal for themselves because they've been, you know, counseled throughout, right, in terms of how to deal with the organization. So there's a lot of benefits on both sides, you know, in terms of the client, which is the organization and the candidate, you know, especially I think the last piece is probably time, right? So these sometimes you could have a client, which is an organization company looking for somebody for six months, we usually come in and we can do the same thing in about two weeks, three weeks, because we focus all of our energy on one thing, you know, sort of like laser focused, and then they can move on and use their energy, the company's energy to, to do other things. So that's the benefit of using a headhunter like car company. So my takeaway here is that there is a collection of people, career professionals that get compensated, they get paid to go find really talented people and introduce them to companies that they think those people might be interested in from a you know, potential employee standpoint, right? The people that are looking for a job, headhunters are very valuable connections in my perspective because their job is to introduce you to jobs that you are A, qualified for, and B, you're likely to be able to land. And then they're going to help you with the salary negotiation because they're incented to have you paid, not necessarily as much as you can, but as much as what the fair rate is because they get paid a percentage of your base salary. So I think the question is for the entry-level job seekers, right? People that are listening to the Finding a Job podcast are making the transition to the working world. Are there headhunters that are out there that are focused on helping the entry-level job seeker find a job, or are they primarily focused on the mid-career and executive level? Right. There are different types of headhunters for all different types of roles. And not that I'm saying this is the perfect way to look for your first job, but a lot of the new graduates, let's say, or the younger folks out there, there was a guest you had, Jeffrey Moss, he talked about micro-internships, which I think is a terrific idea, by the way. So they'll do sort of an internship or two, 
which is, you know, to some extent, it's kind of like a short-term consultant role. So there's a lot of firms out there where they hire a sort of tempter firm, and that's a great way for a candidate and sort of, a, you know, someone with really little experience to get into organizations. So there, there are a lot of firms out there that do that. So I guess it's sort of like a misunderstanding in terms of executive talent. There's a lot of recruiters that will find roles for people that work from manufacturing all the way up to the executive sort of C-suite level. So I think it's, you just have to kind of look for them. And But in general, where the talent pool is in the country, there's usually a lot of organizations and agencies and recruiters that work with all types of roles. So tell me your advice. How do you think that entry-level job seekers can make connections with headhunters? What's the right way to find them? And what's the right way to introduce, you know, yourself and your candidacy? There's a couple ways, right? So the one way, which is, you know, sort of out of the box thinking, let's say you studied marketing and all of your friends have all studied marketing. And, you know, you have a friend who has an interview at a company, an XYZ company. And, you know, the, the idea would be to ask your friend, how did you actually get that interview, right? A lot of times it will come through a headhunter. I think trick number one would be, to just ask your friend, can you introduce me to, you know, XYZ headhunter? I'd also like to see what they have available, right? So through an email introduction, you know, you can kind of set that up. That's one way. The second way is to literally, you can go on LinkedIn, you can find out certain headhunters in your area, you can reach out to them. And in general, they're going to be pretty sort of receptive to new candidates and new talent. But I think the main thing would be, and this is sort of the takeaway for today, I would say is, if you studied accounting, make sure that you sort of connect or hook up with an accounting sort of headhunter or recruiter. If you study marketing, try to find the marketing headhunters. If you studied, you know, technology or engineering, you know, look for the tech recruiters, right? So that's the one sort of takeaway. It doesn't make sense to, for a marketing person to try to get something with a tech recruiter. I think it's pretty difficult. So that's my piece of advice. But the value of networking, which has been, you know, sort of a main theme on this show, right, over and over, which I've heard over and over from various guests, the value of networking to find new leads, new people, and new job opportunities, it's still relevant today. So that's how sort of a new person can find opportunities and find people and contacts. So that's what I would do. Yeah, my takeaway is there's three ways to make connections to headhunters. First is networking. Like you said, something that we've you know preached regularly on the show is take advantage of the relationships that you already have. And if somebody was connected to a headhunter in an industry that you're interested in, ask for that connection. Network your way into the person that you're trying to reach. The second way is direct outreach, right? Do the research, go on to LinkedIn, make the connections, introduce yourself. And this is a relatively cold message you're going to be sending. So you need to be very specific about what you want and why you think you're relevant for that industry. I studied accounting. I see you're an accounting-focused headhunter. I'd like to connect to see if you know about any entry-level jobs in X, Y, and Z area. I think the third thing is, you know, make yourself visible. And that is optimizing your LinkedIn profile, something that we've talked about, making sure that your resume is getting out there so you're discoverable to headhunters that are looking to fill a job. George, you mentioned when we were talking offline that your business has expanded outside of just executive recruiting and headhunting into also helping executives polish their you know, LinkedIn profiles and make themselves visible. Talk to me about the playbook that you're implementing for executives and how is that relevant also to people that are at the entry level end of the spectrum? So we've been in business now for close to going on 20 years. And for the majority of the time, it was always sort of recruiting and headhunting. Little by little, we had clients as well as candidates asking us for help in terms of, you know, telling their story and branding, right? So it was a resume, it was a LinkedIn, it was a biography. 
So we started to work with executives and we worked with companies from Pepsi, Banana Bread, Dropbox, sort of all over the place. And they came to us and they would say, you know, George, we need to really tell sort of a cohesive message on LinkedIn. Can you help us sort of brand that story? So the interesting thing that I found, and this is kind of, these are people that are running very large companies. They're very successful. And they still ask the same question that somebody, for example, listening to this podcast will ask is, George, how do I get my next job or how do I get my next role, right? Which is the same problem somebody maybe in their 20s is having. And I always sort of respond with, you know, the way about it hasn't changed literally for 50 years, even though the tools are changing. There's LinkedIn, there's social media, there's email. See, that has changed. But in terms of networking, in terms of, you know, figuring out how to connect to somebody else and add value, you know, that hasn't changed. I give that same advice to somebody who, who's an executive of a very large company as I would to, you know, somebody just getting out of college. So, and you brought up a very good point about, you know, getting seen and getting known. The biggest thing that you can do is not to hide behind technology, right? So if you can get a meeting or you can get on the phone or if you can get some sort of personal connection, I think the main game is to get it past the email, get it past the sort of messaging app, right? Get it past the LinkedIn email. It's getting somebody in the, on the phone and then having a conversation. I think and that has not changed literally for 50 years, right? I understand the idea that, you know, whether you're an executive or an entry-level job seeker, making yourself visible and being active in, you know, the various networks that you want to participate in, whether they be digital, online, LinkedIn, or whether it be, you know, networking and events and just meeting people, being active is really the most important thing you can do. Talk to me about how you evaluate your activity, whether it's effective or not. That's a terrific question. And that's actually a question and I think a technique that a lot of people miss. And they, the real business world, that's how most businesses operate. They operate in terms of, you know, how many pieces of activity, I and mean, we call them KPIs, but how many pieces of activity did we have to do to get the sort of cause and effect, right? So if you're a candidate, you can use that technique to sort of, instead of having sort of an emotional problem, you now have a mathematical problem in terms of finding a job. So and my recommendation is, let's say that we use that technique talking about asking your friends to introduce you to the headhunters or recruiters that they had used. Let's say that you ask 10 friends and four of them give you sort of an introduction and you send four emails to the recruiters and one responds to you and that one response turns into an interview. You now know that for every 10 folks you ask, you're going to get one interview, right? At least with, with sort of a recruiting firm. So if you'd like to get four or five interviews, just need to sort of, and there's a great book on this, but you sort of need to, you know, 5X that or 10X that but you're able to control some of the math. And I think it's good to either track that in like a Google spreadsheet or even sort of a basic, you know, even an Excel sheet, but you can pretty much track it in terms of how many calls you're going to get or how many calls you have, have received based on how many emails you've sent, how many messages, how many people have you met for coffee, how many interviews did that turn into? So you can keep it to like four or five basic KPIs or statistics, but it turns into a mathematical problem and not, sort of an emotional problem or, you know, there aren't any jobs available or, you know, I don't know what I'm doing wrong problem. It comes down to math at the end of the day. And that's how we approach most things in business. And you'll see later on when you work in companies, that's also very relevant to how companies run. They run based on statistics and data and activity, right? Yeah, I think that it's an important point. And the thing I want to highlight is the transition from, you know, the end of your college experience to 
the beginning of your career feels like a very emotional one. There's a lot of change and it's natural. It was definitely an emotional time for me. And there's so much uncertainty where when you're in college, you know, you study, if you answer the questions on the test, right, you get a certain grade. It feels very much like it's in your control because you've been in the education system for a long time, for years. When you're looking for a job for the first time, it can feel very cold and isolated and like you have to deal with a lot of rejection. And that is something that doesn't change. Now you get used to it later in your career, but that's something that, you know, as George said, even executives that have been in the career in the working world for 20, 30 years struggle with is being uncertain about how to reach out, how to be active and how to get the leads for the jobs that they want. It comes down not to an emotional decision, but to a mathematical equation. If you do a certain amount of outreach, some of the people are going to not feel that you're qualified for a job. Some of the people that are going to. And you have to figure out what that math looks like. It might be one out of 10 people is going to think that you're qualified for a job that you're interested into. And you might need 10 job applications to be the best candidate and land it. That means you need to talk to 100 people. It is math. And the rejection is not as personal as you might think it is when you're just starting out. So the first time I applied for a job, it was terrible. I was rejected. I didn't make it past the first round interview. I applied for a job at The Gap. And I always felt like a failure because of that. And in reality, I just needed to apply to more jobs. So George, as you think about the math that goes into finding a job, do you have a sense of how much outreach someone has to do, mostly on the entry level side? You know, is there a volume of activity that you set as a baseline for some of your customers? I would say more is better. And I would probably caveat with more is better, but then sort of, you know, don't get married to the first opportunity. I think it's also, I think it's really important when you're looking for a job, your job is to look for a job, right? Your job is not to sort of to mess around in social media. It's not to, you know, to hang out at a Starbucks. Your job is to literally look for a job. So you have to take that quite seriously. The other thing you have to be really, really, this took me a while to figure this out as well when I was, when I was young, when I was working, even if you're, let's say you're looking for something that pays $50,000 a year to, let's say, you know, 80000 or $90,000 a year. You have a $90,000 problem. Like that's a big problem to solve. And when literally you have no experience or you, you have little experience, and the question is, how do you solve that problem? You have to take that quite seriously, right? So if you're walking in entry level and it's a $50,000 roll or $70,000 roll, it's literally a $70,000 problem. And that's just the first year. Let's say you work there two or three years, it becomes a $200,000 problem. So you have to treat it as such, treat it like the problem that it is. But I would say more is better, number one. Number two, I would say do a lot of your due diligence, which is don't get excited. It's great to be excited and motivated and energetic about a lot of these things, but you really, really have to be careful about sort of jumping into the wrong thing. And uh, I think it's more important to, you know, love the culture, love the people that you're going to work for, stand behind the product, right? Because you have to really believe in sort of, you know, who you would be working for. And at the end of the day, I mean, and this is something it takes you, I think later on you realize this once you start working, that you're trading your time for money. So you have to really use your time wisely and, you know, make sure you end up at a place that you love. So that's kind of my advice in terms of, I think more is better in terms of activity and the opportunities that you turn down, make sure that you don't burn those bridges because those are the opportunities that later on might come back or there might be something, you know, where you want to go back to and, and reach out to. So just, you know, try not to have arrogance, you know, when you have 20 other companies calling you for back for second or third interviews. 
because you've already lent it someplace else. So just keep that in mind, you know, be cautious of when you get to the point where you're rejecting companies as well. I think there's two important things to take away from that. One, you're solving a big problem, right? You know, it's a $200,000 problem. If you're going to work in a $50,000 a year role for four years, that's a problem that's a $200,000 problem. And on the flip side, if you think about it, if you have to send 100 emails to find a $200,000 over four-year job, what's the value of each one of those emails? It's a lot. So if you do the math on that, let's say you're looking for a $50,000 job and you're going to be in that job for four years, it's a $200,000 problem. If you have to send 100 emails to land that job, that's $2,000 per email. Those are pretty valuable emails. You should probably take those pretty damn seriously. And on the flip side, you have to remember that your career is a marathon, not a sprint. So you have to treat all the people that you're emailing with respect. Even if you do land a job that you're not going to take, take George and my relationship as an example. This is someone who reached out to me to have me, you know, apply to work for a company eight years ago. And if I hadn't treated that relationship with respect, if I had just blown George off as opposed to, you know, appreciatively and genuinely said, you know, I don't think this is the right fit for me, he wouldn't have been a guest on my podcast eight years later. So it's important to remember to treat everybody with respect and follow up on all of the conversations that you have. George, any last tips for the entry-level job seekers as they think about the application process and, and even, you know, how are the hiring managers who are hiring you evaluating and looking at them and their candidacy? So I think a lot of the things that they look at, and this is in terms of you have to be very cautious of your communication in terms of email, for example, right? So if you have to respond to somebody that's about to hire you in, you know, via email, you have to be very, very careful how you communicate on paper, right? So via email, that's one big mistake I see. I see a lot of the younger folks treating email almost like it's a text message, right? So you're getting, you're being judged based on how well you write. And you're also being judged on, do you speak good or do you speak well? So you have to be very sort of aware of when you're interviewing folks, sort of your verbal communication and how you communicate in terms of, are you able to get your message across? But they're looking for people that are number one, really, really engaged in what they're doing. They're looking for people that understand the problem that they're trying to solve. So keep in mind, they're hiring you not because they're trying to help you out. They're hiring you because they have a certain problem and it's usually two or three main problems, right? So that's why they're hiring you. And you need to be laser focused on what problems they're trying to hire. So keep that in mind during the whole process. And you can usually, sometimes you can just ask them a question, you know, saying, so what did you like about my candidacy? Or why is the role actually open? And they'll tell you. And there's sort of little tidbits of information where you can kind of, you can grasp and you can use that to sell the opportunity. So that's the second piece of advice is be conscious of and be engaged in terms of what they're really trying to hire for. And I would say number three would be you know, make sure that you go into these companies knowing as much as possible about them before the interview. You have no idea how many candidates that sometimes, you know, that clients will come back and say, you know, we love them. They seem great, but they didn't know anything about the company. And we don't want somebody that doesn't walk in prepared. So you really need to walk in prepared to these interviews. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's about attitude, right? People want to work with people that they like. So, you know, make sure that you give a great first impression. You know, you have to dress well when you show up. And, you know, be respectful, but they're trying to solve a problem and they're hoping that you can solve it for them. So that's the big advice I'd give to sort of the younger guys out there and younger girls. So, Be humble, 
be hungry, be prepared. You don't have to be experienced, right? I think that's the key takeaway. One of the first jobs that I was ever hired for, they essentially gave me a math test. And what they were trying to figure out, it was totally irrelevant to the job that I was going to do is how do I think about problems and how do I approach solving something when I was put into an unexpected circumstance? So you don't have to know the right answer to every question, but if you can walk someone through what you're thinking and how you're approaching it and demonstrate that you've done your research, that's going to help you with your candidacy. George, it's been a long time since we were able to connect. I think it shows the value of maintaining relationships. I appreciate you coming onto the show and sharing your perspective with the Finding a Job podcast community. Great. Thank you. It was a pleasure and keep up the great work. You have a terrific following and I always enjoy listening to your show and I think you're affecting a lot of people, but I just want to say, you know, I'm honored to be here. So thank you for that. Well, I appreciate the kind words. And that wraps up this episode of the Finding a Job podcast. Thanks to George McGarren for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about George, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. He's kindly offered anybody who's listening to this podcast to shoot him an email. His email is george at McGarren Group. That's George, G-E-O-R-G-E, at McGarren Group, M-C-G-E-H-R-I-N-G-R-O-U-P.com. Or you can visit his company's website, which is McGarrenGroup.com. A couple of links in our show notes that I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, just head over to FAJPod.com. stands for FindingAJobPodcast.com, where we have summaries of all of our episodes and the contact information for all of our guests. If you're a subscriber to the Finding a Job podcast, thanks for being a member of our community. We'd love to hear from you, so we created FAJPod.com slash question, where you can send us your topic suggestions or your job search questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is FAJPod on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, pretty much everywhere. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a regular stream of job search tips and tricks in your podcast feed, we publish episodes multiple times every week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed soon. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to keep networking and stay positive. <laughs>